Well, good morning again, everyone, on this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, at least it's beautiful for those of us who love the rain and all the pretty flowers and things that tend to follow those rains. So I, for one, am thankful for that rain that we are getting today and for the new growth and new life that will come out of it. So as we think about our scripture this morning and think about this series we're going through about encountering Christ, we think back and we remember on um, Easter morning, we heard the story of Mary Magdalene and the other women discovering the empty tomb that very first Easter day. And they really weren't sure what that could mean when they first encountered it, but then Mary encountered the risen Christ in the garden And that resurrection, that joy of meeting Jesus again, became a joy for her and an inauguration on a very new mission, a mission of spreading that news of joy. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of the doubtful disciples, and and even though I know I wasn't in here, I know that uh, that was still the text that morning. And we found the male disciples, the male apostles, were hiding in a room out of their fear and out of their doubts wondering what could it mean for us that Jesus was killed? Are we going to be next? Are they coming for us now? But then Jesus broke into their closed room and appeared amongst them, and they also had a changing encounter with the risen Christ. So today we get a glimpse of some other disciples, ones that have not been named before in the story but ones that were obviously part of some of those crowds that were following Jesus around from place to place and listening to his teachings. And this particular story is really only fleshed out here in the Gospel of Luke. In this Gospel, this story takes place between the discovery of the empty tomb that first Easter morning and Jesus' appearance to the hiding disciples later that evening. We catch a glimpse here of how these events affected those that weren't in the inner circle, that weren't a part of the twelve. These two disciples are not part of that group, and, and only one of them is even given a name here this morning in our text. But that does not make their encounter with Jesus any less important. And and in fact, I think that this makes it just a little bit more relatable for us. While there may certainly be those in our communities who identify with Mary Magdalene or with Thomas or with Peter, there are probably far more of us that identify with the unnamed masses that humbly followed Jesus along the way without any accolades and without any prestige. At any rate, these two are walking the seven miles or possibly more back home to the community of Emmaus though I'm pretty sure I didn't walk seven miles on my own walk. They were downcast, saddened by everything that had happened. They had been excited when they heard Jesus speak as he was teaching them through the months and weeks that had preceded. They'd been excited by the new life that he was calling them into, excited by this this new relationship that he was calling them to be in. And now he's dead. I, I, guess, I guess life just returns to the way it was before. And then Jesus shows up along the path with them. And the story suggests he just happened to walk up on them on their journey. I mean, there's, there's no text here saying that he just sort of suddenly appeared in a flash of light or anything like that. He just kind of walked up on them as they're walking down the road. 
text just says he arrived and joined them on their journey. And while the Gospel of John doesn't tell us why Mary Magdalene did not recognize Jesus as we discussed a few weeks ago, Luke also doesn't, Luke just tells us that the two disciples were prevented from recognizing him. No mention of what that means. Perhaps like Doctor Who, he had regenerated into a new body and his companions couldn't yet recognize him for who he was. Maybe like Superman, he was wearing glasses that kept him from being recognized for who he really is. You know, Superman puts on those glasses and now he's Clark Kent and nobody realizes he's Superman. So, Or perhaps as two disciples that were not in the inner circle, they'd probably really never seen Jesus up close. And so they're not really expecting to see him, and so they just don't recognize him for who he is. And while this could be fun to kind of play out this whole what-if game for a while, that's not really as important as the rest of this story. When he questions them about what is going on, they explain to him their grief. They tell him about the love and the excitement that they had been feeling in following Jesus in the world and all that he had been teaching them, this new relationship that he was calling them into, and how all that had been building, and they were excited for what was to come. And then the way their hopes were dashed by the crucifixion. Then they mentioned the story that the women had told them about coming to the tomb that morning and finding it empty, And then seeing as the actual location of their hometown could be anywhere from 7 to 20 miles from Jerusalem, depending on which text fragment we're reading from and how that distance was being measured, for them to arrive home before the evening meal, they had probably left not long after that story from the women about the the tomb being empty. Particularly with their heavy hearts, I'm sure this was not a quick journey for them. I'm sure it took them most of the day. And then Jesus just straight up calls them fools. Perhaps this is unsurprising given the number of times that Jesus has to tell his followers that they are not understanding all that he has been telling them. After their time with him, all his stories, even his references to his own death, the disciples were still caught off guard still not sure what to make of all this, what it could mean. And then Jesus very patiently explains it to them all uh, yet again. The new world he was bringing about was always going to challenge the status quo. The things he was teaching, his challenges to the religious and political authorities were always going to lead to his death. And the resurrection was always going to point to God's love and to a promise of new life. I can imagine them as the story begins to draw to a close, as they're getting closer to home, they probably start trying to walk a little bit slower because they want to drag this out a little more. They're not, they're not quite ready to just go home and have this conversation end. I, I'm sure some of you have had that experience where you know you've got somewhere else to be, but you're having this really good conversation. And so you start just walking just a little bit closer and kind of start past your door, but not kind of hanging close to it. Like, I don't really want this to be over yet. I don't want this conversation to end. And as Jesus keeps moving as if to continue on down the road, they decide to invite him inside. It's almost evening. 
the day is done, come in, take a load off. And so they go inside and eventually they sit down to share a meal together. And as they do, Jesus takes the bread, he offers a blessing, he breaks the bread and he gives it to them. It doesn't tell us what words he used or if there was anything said beyond that blessing. But the words, the actions, would have recalled for these disciples that Last Supper that he had shared with them just a few days ago. Would have recalled for them all the meals that Jesus had been sharing with them over time. And in that moment, that is when they recognize him for who he is. And then as soon as they do, Jesus disappears. Can you just imagine the excitement that they must have felt at that moment? The stories are true. They recognized that their hearts had been burning within them as Jesus had been talking to them, or perhaps as good Methodists, we would say that their hearts were strangely warmed. They suddenly know beyond any doubt that God loves them and that all that Jesus has taught them is true. And then these two, these two who had walked at least seven miles in the heat of the day, dejected and in grief and feeling the loss of Jesus because of his death, jumped up from that table and immediately returned to Jerusalem. And if this timeline that we have here is to be believed, they returned that very same evening in time to meet with the rest of the disciples, with the eleven, in time for Jesus to appear to them. A journey that had likely taken them all day. A journey that ended shortly before evening, shortly before the evening meal, is now completed in what is probably a matter of only an hour or two as they rush back to Jerusalem in time to be with the others that evening. Their encounter with the body of the risen Christ gave them the excitement and the energy to run miles to share that good news with others. They were bursting with energy, unable to delay even that night to go out and share that news with others. This is the joy of that encounter with the risen body of Jesus. It empowers us, it emboldens us. We can't hold it in, can't wait to share it. And like these two disciples we can have the same encounter with the body of Jesus. Just as they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread, we too repeat this experience, sharing bread at the table together. When we come to the table, we, all, we not only remember Jesus in the sense of remembering the entirety of his life, death, and resurrection of remembering all the times that he sat and shared meals with the disciples and with others. But we remember the body of Christ by putting it back together. We as church are the continuing body of Christ here in the world. And so when we come together at the table, we are Jesus' hands and feet coming back to together to put the body of Christ back together and recognize it as one. This is also what it means to remember Christ. It is one of the ways that Christ's body again becomes visible in the world. As we pray in the great thanksgiving, 
Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. When we gather together at Christ's table, the body of Jesus is both present in the bread and in the cup and in the community that is gathered here together in worship. How are we transformed by that encounter with the body of Jesus? And how is our world transformed by their encounter with the body of Jesus that is this worshiping community? When we encounter the risen Christ, our lives are transformed for the better. Not only in the sense, or not really in the sense that everything will now be easy in life, because in fact, quite often, it's the contrary. But instead, our encounter with Jesus forms us for the betterment of all the world, not just our individual selves. For most of us, this encounter with Jesus takes place within this worshiping community. It is when we gather at the table that we become aware of Jesus in our midst. Whether we recognize Christ in the bread and the cup or in the other faces that are sharing the worshiping space with us, Jesus is present and alive here with us. And the really awesome thing about this is that as we become more and more aware of Jesus present here with us at the table as we worship together, we start to recognize Jesus present with us when we gather at other tables for other meals. Cleopas and this other disciple who goes unnamed were not sitting down to share in worship with Jesus. They were sitting down to share food, to have a meal together. The body of Christ became known to them in the sharing of food. Our worship life su suggests that this is also true for us. The body of Jesus become known to us when we share food together. When we share in that holy meal, we become aware of the body of Christ and our place as a part of that body. Once we recognize the risen Jesus in our midst and our place in the body of Christ, we begin to hope that others will recognize that body also. Once we have encountered the risen body of Jesus, what is our reaction to the call that is placed on each of us? Part of what it means to be the body of Christ is that we serve others as Jesus did during his own life here on earth. But what does it mean to serve? I've wondered before what it would mean to think about serving the church in the same way that we serve Holy Communion. When we think about serving Holy Communion, we think about providing the bread and the cup to someone else. We think of offering to another the body and blood of Jesus. What if we also offered the church as the body of Jesus to the world? What would it mean to serve the body of Jesus in that way? What would it mean to offer the church the body of the risen Jesus to the rest of the world? How else do we help people have an encounter with the body of Christ if we do not offer it to them? 
Perhaps for some, simply sharing the story of Jesus is enough. But if we want people to get excited, if we want to see them energized and empowered the way that we have seen the disciples and the stories over these last few weeks, we need to offer them more than stories. We need to offer them a counter with the body of the risen Jesus. Perhaps just as it was for Cleopas and the other disciple in this story, it is still the same today. If Jesus is recognized in the act of sharing food, perhaps we best help others recognize Jesus by offering them food. As we close today, I want you to think about your own experiences of Christ's table. Have you encountered Jesus when the community gathers together for Holy Communion? Have you recognized Jesus other times that we gather together as a community for meals? Or maybe you've had the experience of encountering Jesus as you have served food to a stranger. Whatever the case, know that Jesus waits to have an encounter with each of us. And just as the disciples were excited by their encounter and set forth with a new mission, we too are emboldened by our encounter with Christ and sent out in mission to the world that through us, others may have that encounter with the living body of Jesus and know God's love.